time to talk music, audio gear, and anything else that crosses our minds. I'm Mark. And I'm Pizza. And welcome to the Hareton Audio Podcast. So, this weekend we have seen the 1975 still at their very best live. And we saw them in Scotland, in Glasgow. So, that was, it was a pretty cool trip. And um, what I will say is the 1975, if you haven't seen them live do a very, very good stage show and a very good, well-rounded... I mean, Matt Healy, the singer, refers to it as a play, um, a stage play. So it's just a really good show and they have a lot of very good feel-good music and um, it's a really good all-round experience, particularly if you like the band. Yeah, because what they do is they... Obviously, they play all the hits like you would expect, but they've got these really, really bizarre bits like consumption and then whenever they play I Like America and America Likes Me, they always do something like a bit off-kilter with it, which this time was very different to last time as well uh, on the turf. I don't necessarily want to put loads and loads of spoilers in this for the gig, but I suppose you're going to see them everywhere on like Instagram and stuff anyway, aren't you, really? Yeah, yeah, and um, it's they they just keep building different iterations of the stage show. So, what they've done on this one is the if they've combined the at their very best house that they have like a, a full sort of inside sitcom almost like house that they can walk around and sit down on chairs on, which is really different to what you see a lot of bands do for stage design. Uh, and then because they're being tracked by cameramen walking around, it gives it on the outer screens, it gives it a real like TV experience whilst you're watching the gig, which is one of the best like aspects about it, particularly if you're sat quite far back. We've been lucky to stand a few times, but this time we were sat at the very back and it wasn't really a different experience. It was still just as good. It was a really, really good view. I mean, the... Over Hydra in Glasgow is a really, really well-built arena. And you can see the difference when you go to arenas that aren't, like, fantastically laid out and built. And you sit at the back, it's like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. What are we going to do? Whereas this one was like, well, we're, we're literally touching, like, the back wall. And it was a great view. So no obstructions or anything, which is real nice. Because, you know, there's nothing worse than getting to a gig and there's, like, a massive, like, gear blocking half your view or... You just, you know, the seats are so compact that, you know, you don't actually, you know, you can barely see above people's heads and stuff like that. That's like the worst feeling when you get to a gig. Because you're like, you know, you paid a lot of money and a lot of people put a lot of time and effort just simply getting there to be there at a gig like that. So it's a real shame if something does block your view. Yeah, and um, the best thing about how open the stage is for the 1975, still at their very best, um, is that... They've got this house that's very open plan. So you're not really being obstructed from seeing what the band are doing at any given time. It also means that they're all doing their own thing. Instead of all being stood on stage normally, a lot of them are are tucked away. But like sometimes for songs, they'll just be sat on sofas playing. They'll be watching the TVs that are built in. Like Matt Healy will like deliver vocal lines while staring blankly at himself on the TV. Um, And it gives the full show like a grounding point, but also what they've done on this tour is they've smashed that into what a little bit of what their old stage design was. So like the, the music for Cars um, stage design for anybody who goes to see them a lot. That's where um, that's like the twenty nineteen to twenty twenty shows. Yeah, yeah, and um, they've not necessarily got all of the uh, rectangular door LEDs that that they've had 
at times. But uh, what they have got is they've got all the colour and all the, like, like the saturation you'd expect on some of the songs. So when they play, like, like um, some of them are ballads or some of them are 80s ones, they could really light the sky up in neon pink and stuff. And all the stage around the house, they had, like, like strip lights underneath sofas and yeah. on chairs and stuff to make the full stage turn different colours. Which is really, really nice. I thought it was a big improvement on the At The Very Best tour because the At The Very Best tour was a lot more conceptually sound. But again, if you are sat at the back of a massive arena, it doesn't matter how conceptually sound it is. You want screens and you want lights because, you know, you're so far away. You want, the you know, the bigger the show, the better, really, for, for anybody, you know, in seated. So... I think um, it was a big improvement on the At The Very Best show. Because the At The Very Best show, you know, uh, and it's also like they do bits like consumption, like I said earlier, which is like a bit of a fourth wall break in the show. And Mahili addresses some like quite interesting sort of theories in these, like just his personal like musings about, as he said on, on the show we saw him at, the meta of concert going and, and the 1975 concerts and how... You know, at this at this concert, he said that you know the the final product essentially is what people video. So you know, even though they're selling an experience, a lot of people see it as these videos that pop up from the friends on or people they know on Instagram, and ultimately that becomes you know the thing they're selling, not the actual experience of being there. Which I thought was a very poignant thought, and I think it's a thought that you know it's hard to quantify whether that's a product or not. Because, you know, it's like saying, if you take a picture of your salad and put it on the internet, that's a little quote. <laughs> um, you know, is that picture the final product of that salad? I mean, it depends on the user, I, I would say, what, what you're sort of hinting at in my, what I got from it was for anybody who's not there, that is the final product, is the video of it. And that's the the almost the advertisement for somebody to say, well, I want to see him on the next day to the tour. I want to see him on the next tour. Um, because a lot of the time you'll see clips of concerts and you'll go, that looks good. I want to go see that. And then that might be what motivates you to buy tickets. Now, I know a lot of the time the tickets are sold out before anybody gets to video it. So it is, it is hard to say that that is what sells the tickets because most of the time it's completely sold out before the tour even starts. So you can't say, well, the people on the first gig spoiled it um, or, you know, got people on the last gig to go because they've all sold out at the same time, haven't they? But yeah, to anybody who's not got tickets, that is what the gig looks like. You know, and it's like a, a perceived thing. That is what you expect. So if you happen to see a concert footage from uh, somebody who's like absolutely blown out the whites on the phone because they're focused on like something really dark yeah. and you go, I can't see anything. That looks rubbish for, for exactly. seated. Yeah. You're not thinking about what it actually looks like. You're thinking about what it looks like on this phone and how that looks. And then you think wow, I can't barely see anything. So that's how bright it must be in the venue, but obviously it's the fun. Yeah, I think that's ultimately what probably is playing on his mind. Sorry, I've got to stop doing this. Um, what, sneaking little quotes in all the time? Yeah, um, because, you know, as you say, a lot, of, a lot of people will see that footage on their friends' like socials and they'll think, wow, I really want to go next time. Or, wow, that looks really cool. Maybe I should check out this band. 
But for every person that does that, there's probably somebody who goes, they don't sound very good on that phone speaker in that place yeah, yeah. in the stadium. They don't, you know, like you say about the lighting looks washed out. Or I can barely see them is what most people would think, you know, particularly people who aren't concert goers. So there's a duality to each of these points and each of these sort of methods of sharing a band. I mean, I was also on a different tangent. You can go to sites like Setlist FM and they will tell you every song that's played because it's collated by the users who go to the concerts. And it's quite interesting with Setlist FM because equally you can just be trawling Setlist FM for every day on a tour and you can almost like put a very, very decent guess out of what the band's going to play at the gig you go to. And obviously there'll always be upsets. Like, for example, we got some very unexpected songs at the Glasgow show. We got um, the birthday party and Bagsy Not In Net, which was like, Bagsy Not In Net, I don't even know how many times I've played that. Yeah, um, I wouldn't know off the top of my head whether they played it on the Notes tour. I think they did off the top of my head, but it's hard because those four electronic songs towards the end of Notes on a conditional form, they are, for me, easy to confuse for each other because a lot of them are very atmospheric. Um, so they played it 13 times in 2013. And then once so far being this one in 2024, because their tour's only just started, so we can't really collate the data that well. It's just amazing that something like Setlist FM exists and it's so organised. I mean, this has every single 1975 song, exactly how many times people have, you know, listed they've played them live, which is crazy in itself. But th these are sort of like the methods you can go to in terms of either spoiling a gig for yourself, which, you know, I think Setlist FM people can be very guilty of trying to go, I want them to play the songs, you know, that I like. It's a bit like reading a load of movie reviews yeah. before watching the movie where the plot point's been spoiled, you know who the murderer is, you know who dies, and then you go, right, now I understand what this film is, I can watch it. And then you're like, but none of the surprise is there. Yeah, exactly. The emotional response isn't necessarily there. And, you know, definitely from seeing them a lot of times, there were moments in the show that I could not so much predict, but that I expected, like if you're too shy being one of the main leaders into the um, other, the, the, the what, what are they called? Is it the greatest hits? Yeah, set? At, at, at the very best set. So I was just looking at Robbers yeah, yeah. and they've played Robbers over 700 times according to Setlist FM. Which I'm not is surprised. Yeah, so I knew that if you're too shy would um, be the first song in that, the very best set. I knew Consumption would pop up, or I thought Consumption would pop up somewhere. And I sort of knew that there was going to be a lot of the songs off being funny in a foreign language in that first half of the set as well. So it's like, I wouldn't say they're spoilers, but they're expectations and, you know. Well, the first five songs is, or the first six songs is basically what we saw last time. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. It's like them getting the bulk of the new album out the way, um, which is actually really nice for them just to do like six songs in a row because I know some bands go, we'll do what, we'll start with a song off the new album and then we'll finish with a song on, off the new album. Well, a lot of the time they finish with the greatest songs, don't they? Yeah. But uh, they yeah. just like pepper them in near the start and then towards the end of the gig, which is sort of what they've done. But what they've done is they've done like a full section almost where it's like, this is, because they're all not necessarily the same vibe, but they go very well together. Like if you know the album, it's almost like they're playing that album in full and then they just halt it and say, we're not doing the last half. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I love the fact that, I don't know if these are the official titles, but I love the fact that the part with Consumption in, Consumption, I Like America, and Jesus Christ 2005, which was another unexpected song. Um, they're all listed as Matty's Nightmare on Setlist FM, which I think is quite funny, because I don't remember that on the other, like it being listed as Matty's Nightmare. The thing is with Discog, sorry, not Discog, the thing is uh, with Setlist FM is it is user-based. So that's the thing you've got to account for when you... Um, when you actually use it as a reference tool. But what I will say from being on it and, and uploading a set list before, it is very, very accurate because people will come in there and if you upload what you think the, the set list is and you're wrong, people will come in there and change it. It's a bit like a Wikipedia article in that sense where yeah. everybody's fighting to get the right information there. Particularly for like newer gigs and gigs where people record parts of it on the phone because I suppose what you can do is if you take like a five to ten second video of every song in the set which you know it sounds quite intrusive but it really isn't at these gigs because everybody's filming everything and if you film like five to ten seconds and you're good at getting your phone out you know stealthily or or, or like unintrusively it's very easy to do that even as a note taking format there's a very big difference i think to filming clips and just saying oh that i've just got that so i can either post that little picture or that little 15 second bit of the thing to like instagram or whatever and then filming because i have actually seen people just live streaming the gigs on like facebook live and stuff like that before yeah just like gigs. for extended periods of time and yeah. then you know like say the worst thing about phone culture at gigs you know i i like being able to take a little video here and there but i don't like looking at my phone and if yeah. I have a problem, it's like, right, that's going back in my pocket. I'm watching a show. Do you know I, what I mean? I don't but, have any issues with people taking videos and, and even videoing themselves occasionally because that's I feel like that at this point in this day and age is part of the experience to say, look, I am here or this is what I'm looking at. But I know what you're going to say. Continue, Mike. Well, the thing is, is what really gets me is when... Like, I was watching a Japanese house, and obviously the way phone screens are, a lot of people have them on full brightness. Yeah. And it's pitch black in the arena. So when you're sat down looking at the stage and your peripheral vision, you can just see people scrolling through Instagram. And, and Wikipedia, like, Wikipedia, though. I'm, I can't believe somebody like, was on Wikipedia. I get, I get taking a video. I get texting somebody. What I don't get is somebody just blindly just scrolling down their Instagram feed or checking their Snapchat stories. And you're like... Yeah. You, the band is on like you've paid one you've paid for the gig and two you're just ignoring it it's like it's like going to a cinema and then just watching your phone instead of the 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 movie i, I just don't get that logic but arguably they would argue well this is the support band and i'm not bothered about watching it which is i think that's fair but i also think you're closing yourself off to new experiences. Like we was both saying, we're not super well versed in the Japanese house, but we came away from that wanting to listen to the new album, which we had we had been slowly checking out before we saw them, just so we knew some of the songs. But definitely, like almost like going, well, we'll buy that album because the songs were really good and the performance was really good as well. And that's that's the point, you know. The 1975 started out supporting people, you know, like, especially in these bigger venues, you know, they didn't just start as a massive headlining act, you know. Yeah, yeah. And if you ignore all the support acts, you know, you are, you know, actively hindering everybody in the music industry from building up these acts that become your 1975s and your, the Killers and, and Muse and bands like that, you know, even down to 
the the newer examples, people like, you know, Duolipa and stuff, you know, they have to start somewhere, whether it's in small venues or supporting bigger acts. So, you know, it seems a bit unfair to ignore people just because you don't know and who they are. obviously, we're talking about, like, a few people in, like, a crowd of thousands, but it's just something that you almost can't believe when you see it, and you always see somebody doing it. But, like, what, what I really enjoyed about a lot of the 1975 gigs, but particularly the at the very best tours featuring the songs off being funny in a foreign language is I feel like being funny in a foreign language is built to play live. Yeah. And you feel like, like with, with looking for somebody to love happiness and Oh Caroline in particular, Oh, and I'm in love with you, I suppose they're super upbeat, really feel good and very concise songs. Like there's not yeah. a lot, there's there's not like a lot of padding in some of the songs and there's not like extended outros and things like that. It just grooves. And like if they do extend something out or extend an intro out. Say like on Happiness, they, they, they tend to give that a bit more live, which is so good. Every time they start it, I'm like, yes. The, the like e-piano sort of intro for it is immaculate. Yeah. Um, it's really, really good. Like it, it's a really very good addition. Like I think it's very hard to, to look at the 1975 live and take those four songs out and say, yeah. now do another you know, like concert after you've got used to having them because they feel very much like a big, big part of the set. And I suppose they are touring that album and when they have another album, they'll probably take three of those songs out and you might not hear them as much. Because like bands do, they always play a good chunk of the new album. Well, I thought it was very odd how many songs they played off notes on a conditional form on this one. And they didn't play a lot of the singles either. You know, they didn't play um, the Me and You Together song. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they didn't play um, Frail State of Mind either. No. So they played like a lot of songs off notes, but they didn't play songs that they would normally play off notes, which I thought was, you know, they played people and stuff as well. But what I'm saying is, you know, that they really, really mixed up that album set. And I think it's because that album wasn't out, was it? It wasn't out when they did the Notes on Conditional Form tour, being, being Music for Cars Part 2, essentially. Well, did it come out? After, oh, yeah, yeah because if you're out. too shy, wasn't out, was it? So the rest of the album oh, couldn't yeah, have been out. Yeah, because when when we saw them do "If You're Too Shy" the first time, we had to wait like a good few months. So I think it was it was more than a month to wait for the song to come yeah, out. Yeah, and that was seeing it live. Still the single, so because um, the birthday party came out the week we saw him, didn't it? So yeah, yeah. the album won't won't have come out till later in the year. So they probably, you know, then they didn't have chance really to play them songs that much on at the very best, because, you know, they were showcasing more material. And I think they wanted a more focused set, but it looks like this time they've really just gone in and played a load of deep cuts off that album in particular. To, to me, it's not like they played like that album in full or anything. Also, that album's got a lot of songs on, but it definitely was more of that album than I was expecting. Because what you typically find at gigs and in tours in general is that if they've got six albums out and they're touring the sixth album, the fifth album is going to be the album that gets left behind because they just toured that one. You know, that's what yeah, normally they, happens. They tend to cut a lot of the middle albums out. You'll, you'll get a lot from the debut in most cases, unless the debut album was a flop. Yeah. Um, and then it'll be a lot of the first album, a lot of the last album, and then a bit of a few songs in the middle. Yeah. Like, of or, those, say if a band's got five albums, it would be like, let's take, like, two songs from the second album, three songs from the third album, and two songs from the fourth album. Yeah. 
and then play five or six songs off the new album, five or six songs off the first album, if that's the album that broke them into yeah. like singles and stuff. Yeah. And if, if it's not the first album, it's whatever that fan favourite album is, that, that you know, crossover album that got them where they are, you know, yeah. in these bigger venues. It's whichever album did that, the new album, and then, like you said, they sort of cherry-pick songs in between. So it was really interesting that I played a lot of songs off Notes on Conditional Vaughn because that would be the album in that sort of concert meta that would have been left behind. Yeah, and they've, they've sort of done a good variation of tracks from a lot of the albums as well. But I know what you mean though, Peter. When you look at the track listing, Notes has a lot of songs on. Yeah. As does the the new album. Like you can we've got a pie chart here of songs of the album. So it's eight off being funny in a foreign language, six off notes on a conditional form, five off a brief inquiry into online relationships, four off the debut album, which, which I'm actually surprised it's that few. It felt like more in the venue. And then obviously we've got three off like it when you sleep. I'm not gonna say the rest. <laughs> and then uh, one of four, which I'm assuming is... Falling For You. Falling For You. Which I would sort of lump into the, the first debut, album. Yeah, yeah, because if you've got the expanded one, it is sort of in there on the track listing, isn't it? Um, but yeah, that is that is surprising. Um, I'd like to see the second album get a bit more representation, but in all fairness, the first few times we saw them, that was the album that was playing a lot off anyway. Yeah, and I also think when they get to that, you know... Um, 10th anniversary in a couple of years might be next year I can't remember which year it came out I feel like it came out in 2016 but it could have come out end of 2015 um, I reckon they'll they'll tour that one a lot more if they're touring because they're on a touring hiatus but we speculate based off what they're trying to say that it's going to be to go into the studio so I think that they won't be on hiatus for like five years I think they'll be on hiatus for for maybe two years for touring because and that as we were saying um on the day we was like well that may not include festivals they may you know you can have a touring hiatus and still play festivals a lot of bands do so um it'll be interesting to see how they actually tackle that yeah and um I am interested to see what they do on the next album like me and Peter speculated do they do they go uh, a little bit more unhinged and do a, an album more wild, like Notes in a Conditional Form. Do they, do they look at being funny in a foreign language and say, we want to do that again, because that was very well-received and very good live? Or do they do something completely different? Because they are one of those bands where they can do anything. My thoughts, personally, are because of their catalogue and how they will often flip-flop from, you know, being like super smooth to being like quite electronic focus to being like really authentic and, and stuff like that like I think personally that the next album is going to be pretty much the opposite of being funny in a foreign language but I think there will be songs because they, they seem to always have these songs like if you're too shy and it's not living if you're not with you and you know basically like most of the new album where they work for the fans and for radio as well but I do think that because they're if you take notes on a conditional form as an example, and same really with a brief inquiry. I mean, to be honest, any of their albums, they they'll have these, you know, really, really solid sort of pop rock tunes that you really can't argue with. But then they'll have, you know, songs like Petricor or Bagsy Not in Net, you know, a lot of the more ambient 
electronic and experimental noodlings they do, they are the songs that, you know, make them weirder. But also that's what makes them the 1975. And, you know, it's almost a shame that being funny in a foreign language, they probably felt like they needed to condense the album and, and not show that side of themselves to make a stronger album because it's a stronger album. But ultimately, when you compare it to their previous albums, you are just getting less. And also, you've got to remember that Jack Antonov will have had his his way of producing and he might have said, for this album, we don't want to use this technology and that technology. You know, he's very yeah. big on only using analog synths, isn't he, Jack Antonov? Yeah, so and he's big said, on capturing the room as well. So it's hard to capture the room if you're doing everything on machine. You might have said, we want as little technology as possible. You might have just said to Matt Healy, no auto-tune, full stop. Yeah. <laughs> no, I like America or anything like that, or two-time, two-time, two-time. Uh, and he, they'll have said, let's try and make like a classic sounding record. And the thing with being funny in a foreign language is... There's really not a lot of elements in it that puts it in 20, whichever year it came out, probably like 2022, 20. I feel yeah. like, Mike. There's not, there's not a lot of like uh, very cutting edge technology that puts it in a particular year. You could listen to that album on vinyl in 10 years time and assume it come out in a very different year. If you was not into music and how music is recorded. Because if, if you're going off the soul musicality of the album then i would completely agree you know it could be placed in like songs like oh caroline could have come out in like the 80s but what really really if you're really listening in what tells you when it came out is the lyrics <laughs> the lyrical yeah. content yeah. really place it in the time frame but i think sonically it sort of sounds like it could have come out in the late 80s or early maybe not early 90s it just feels very late 80s like 89 88 sort of time to me but that's like what they seem to have done with with like the way jack antonov produces and then the way the songs have come together it's very much we want to use acoustic instruments we want to use uh instruments in the room and we don't want to be messing about with loads and loads of trippy sonic stuff now i know you could say well in part of the band there's loads of reversed vocals and faffing about and little studio trickery that isn't in the room but, but a lot of the front and center elements is violins it's pianos it's the instruments that they're playing also i'd argue though in part of the band they haven't really done anything the beatles couldn't have done given the the knowledge and time yeah yeah is that that's what i mean like that's the limitation of that that project whereas it would be very interesting if they went right nothing's off limits we can use any form of production we want to use because you can see whenever you see them live or in the studio they're very big on using mpcs in yeah, 1975 they, they always have them live they they seem to rely on them live a lot and and it's something that they, even when they're doing songs like the this new batch you'll see them have mpcs that they're, they're, they're hitting here and there um, even like on, on um, Change of Heart and stuff. And it makes you wonder what exactly is on some of the NPCs. Is it some of the atmosphere? Is it some of the retrigs? Obviously, they're great for retrigging vocals and stuff live. Um, but, you know, it'd be very interesting to see what they do with just like, uh, like you say, a bit like the notes thing where they can make absolutely anything because they, they do seem to like a lot of different genres and of music. They proved to us that they have you know, a wide net in which they can land in because notes on a conditional form. I think, I, I don't want to say it's polarising, but there was definitely people I knew that were less 
you know, on board with what they were doing because, you know, it's so out there. I mean, I remember us listening through it the first time being like, this is just like, for a quote-unquote, I know John was dead, rock band. Um, you know, it was pretty damn wild for, for like that four way batch of electronic sort of songs coming out at the end, which was really nice because there's been so many bands like Muse who said, we're going to do an like full album of ambient electronic, then the rock album in a ambient electronic sandwich with three discs. And that, you know, the rock album comes out, but the two ambient electronic sort of sides of the sandwich just disappear. Yeah, so it could, was nice to actually hear them get into that electronic stuff. You could describe tracks like Petricor or How to Draw Petricor and uh, like you said, the four tracks, including Bagsy Not In There and stuff. They're the songs that get dropped by the label. They're the songs yeah. where the label goes, you've got a brand and this isn't there. And that's why it's really refreshing that the 1975 are on their own label, they hit, and they make the decisions. And this is why they're on their own label, because they have said in the past that when they were shopping around for labels, the label wanted them to be one thing. And, and they, they, didn't they want don't that. want to be one thing. They want to do whatever they want to do. Um, so if they was on a label and they had somebody who's a little bit, you know, like uh, more frugal with what they release, these are all the songs that you would never hear. All yeah, these sort of electronic true. ones and stuff. They'd say, we want you to do the sound 15 times yeah, and some ballads, and that's it. That's all you're allowed to do. And in a sense, we already have that. We have lots and lots of 80s bops. Do you know what I mean? Like the sound. It's like we were saying about being funny. The difference is being funny in a foreign language could have had 17 songs on, but it just doesn't because they've cut, arguably. I know they may, the songs may not have been there, but in the writing process, they just haven't wrote them songs that led to them having 22 songs on notes on a conditional form. And that's the way you've got to look at it. You know, I know people are like, well, just cut, cut the weak songs and make a stronger album. Well, weak songs are hard to define because everybody connects with different music. So, you know, they could cut your favorite eight songs off an 18 song album to get it to 10. That's the thing you've got but to think also, about. Look at what they're playing live. They don't have to play Bagsy Not In That live. They don't have to play I Like America live, but I Like America is like a staple of the show now. Yeah, it is. As is Two Time. These aren't songs that you would expect them to play, and, and Two Time is not a song you'd expect to be a hit for them either. Yeah, that's but very it true. it is a hit, but a label who wants them to fit in a box would look at Two Time and go, you're not, you know, because Two Time, you know, has the, I can't remember w which rhythm it is, but it's one of the Latin American rhythms yeah, that you hear on all the Latin tracks has that with the super poppy song that sounds like the 1975 it, but you could do two time two time you could just change the vocal chain and change the drums and it would sound very much like other 1975 songs those yeah. are the two defining factors that puts it in a completely different box oh it's the sort of song where if it was being handled by a label they would have said that's a great song to give to somebody else that's how it, I feel like it would normally go. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So, you know, these are the things to think about with your, with your favourite bands. Luckily, we get a very unfiltered look at the 1975, and that's partly what, me and, what drew me and Peter to them um, yeah. when we discovered them, is listening to all this crazy production, you know, because we're, we're suckers for interesting production, and it's those songs that are interesting that bring you in, and then you don't need them live, you know, but they are nice. And what's great about them is it shows you this is what they could do. 
And that's what I think is so interesting about the 1975. Yeah, so are you seeing the 1975 on this run of UK dates? And um, do you even know who they are? Because it astounds me when people don't know who they are. Right, thanks for listening, everybody. This has been our thoughts on the brand new tour for the 1975. And like I say, let us know in the polls what you think. And see you next episode.